Constructed Criticism is sponsored by Oasis Games. MTGOasis.com is the place to get cards for your next Magic event. Try them out with code CCMTG for 15% off of your first order, and use the code WouldThatBeGood for 4% off of every order. Want to support the show directly? Head on over to Patreon.com CCMTG to check out some awesome benefits and future goals for the show. Thanks for listening, and here's this week's episode of Constructed Criticism. Hello everyone and welcome to the Constructed Criticism Network. This network is here to help you improve in Magic the Gathering at every level. From popper leagues to top 1000 mythic, we've got you covered. If you want to hear the entire network, head on over to our sponsor at purentgeo.com where you can hear each and every show, each and every week, and check out their sponsor, MDGO Traders, and tell them that the CCMTG Network sent you. Now sit back, enjoy the show, from YouTube, podcasts, and more, here's this week's episode from ConstructedCriticism.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 405th episode of Constructed Criticism. Today, I'm your host, Mason, joined by my pick two co host for our pick two set review, Spencer Hallen, Abe Stein. Spencer, how are you doing? Doing, doing well. We got a uh, pick two set review. What did you say, Abe? Take two? Take two. Yeah. yeah. Pick two, take two. <laughs> Let's hop right in to the meat and potatoes of what's going on with this week's episode. But of course, we have to do some Patreon stuff first, since patrons do help support the show. Our Patreon shout out for Andrew Elliott. Thank you so much, Andrew, for being a patron of the show. We will not help your Jessica Ascendancy addiction, but we can help with everything else. And since we have some housekeeping as well, before we hop into our pick two. Yeah, so as of the time of this recording, uh, you should be hearing it, and we have decided to do live shows. Uh, so if you want to watch the live shows in lieu of some of our other uh, content. We won't be doing the mic checks anymore because we'll be doing them live every week on Patreon at patreon.com slash CCMTG. It's another awesome patron benefit. You get the show a little early. We typically record on Mondays, and so they go up Thursdays on average. So you get the episodes on Mondays, kind of give you an idea if that's something you're interested in. Mondays at 9 p.m. Central, 10 p.m. Eastern. Yep, and that will be a benefit for those in the Discord. So uh, that's a patrons of $5 and up. But it is time for the main point of today's episode. It is the pick two set review. So if you haven't been around with us before. We kind of do things a little differently in most shows. If you listen to other set review shows, you have, of course, heard them do a top 10 list. And when they do the top 10 list, I'll say something along the lines of like, for number 10, it's kind of a favorite of mine. I don't really think it's going to see play, but I wanted to talk about it. But instead of doing that, we just have four categories that we will tell you what the cards are kind of being like the mind frame of thinking about them. So our first category, which Abe is going to start us off with here, are sleepers. So these are cards you can think will show up in decks and will probably be good cards or like role player cards and strategies, but people aren't talking about them. So this is kind of our chance to call a shot, get some clout points, and Abe, you're up first. Yeah, so my first sleeper for the set is Unlicensed Hearse. And Unlicensed Hearse is a two-mana vehicle that is a star star with crew two. And it has tap, exile, up to two cards from a single graveyard. And its power and toughness, those stars I mentioned, are equal number of cards exiled with it. I think this card is like a scavenging ooze designed for like 2022. It's actually just such a powerful card in any deck that is going to be able to crew it. There's a ton of synergies available from, you know, the whole blue-white vehicles kind of sub-theme from Kamigawa. And I feel like no one's talking about how this card is just very big, very quick. Two activations of this, you know, in the mid game of just any cards is already a 4-4 vehicle for two with crew two, which is a good rate. And then it continues to grow if you want it to. But also in cases where you need graveyard hate, this can be your sideboard option and that it's powerful enough to like really just take out the cards you care about in a graveyard. I think this card is like got tons of potential to hit in um, Pioneer, Standard, alchemy i don't know anywhere where you need graveyard hate and like you need another threat too this really like ties the room together in a way that's really unique yeah one of the things that i love about this card is that like traditionally if you're having a card like scavenging is really feels this well right of like like you mentioned it answers the graveyard thing while also being a thing that matters in the game this is something that kind of answers more stuff without giving that extra mana commitment every turn and actually becomes a really huge threat and as a great target for Carnwish board. So I, I love this card. I think it's one of the best cards in the set, actually. This card that I actually thought of, Abe, when I saw it. And uh, I, I think this card's quite good. Uh, Abe, what's your other card? I mean, you got one banger. You got to have another one. Yeah, so my second banger sleeper pick 
is a Professional Facebreaker, which is a two and a red, two, three human warrior with menace. Uh, and it also has whenever one or more creatures you control deal damage to, deal combat damage to a player, create a treasure token, and you can sacrifice a treasure to exile the top card of your library, and then you can play that card this turn. This card pairs so well with, like, the Magda, Jaspera Sentinel, Goldspan Dragon, like, shell of turning the kind of, like, excess mana draws where you just only really have the treasure generation going, you only have one piece of things, into more resources and just drawing your way into, like, taking over the game by by card quantity. I think it's just really, really powerful. I think that, you know, on its own, it's a good creature, but with all of your Prosperous Innkeepers or Magda triggers turning into additional cards, this card has a huge opportunity to make, make waves in standard. I actually had not thought about it with uh, Jaspari Sentinel until you just said it. Like, I put it in that world but didn't really think about the implications because i was thinking when i first saw this card that it would just be good in mono red um but now i actually am even higher on one of my sleepers because of what you just said and we'll get into that in a minute yeah we'll talk about the card that interests me the most of this later in black market tycoon yeah but black market tycoon essentially is a 2-2 that makes a treasure and uh if you have a bunch of treasures it hurts you but this is a good way to kind of mitigate that and work with that card as well and so I, I think this card is uh, really good. And it's one of those things that this totally goes under the radar during slip, uh, preview season and just, you know, is a good role player in a lot of decks and ends up just beating a lot of people. So uh, I love this pick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, go figure you like the two, three for three. That's true. That is a Mason quality. <laughs> it doesn't have haste this time, but <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm a sucker for any cards that turn turn treasures into other resources. So I really think this card is. I feel like the video, but, um, the the audio listeners are missing so much from Mason Spacer. Mason is Mason is flabbergasted at the fact that we will not let this go. You just have good taste in rate, man. I don't know what to say. Tuna red, rare, three toughness. You saying I got a type? It's your kind of saying card. I got a type? Kind of, I'm saying you got a type. I'm saying you got a type, and it's a good type to have. What's up, Snake Guy? <laughs> as, long as, like, as long as we agree it's a type it, it's, it's a sick card which you know we'll we'll mention it more i have a much better feeling about your list this time than the last and where your head's at for some reason i can't type tell why so i'm sure this card will come up later in the show as well uh so spencer what's your first card which i actually both your cards were great with this last one here <laughs> i'm actually gonna switch to uh the order of mine and i'm gonna go over goldhound first this card is one red for a 1-1 one, one artifact creature treasure dog first strike as menace, and you can sacrifice it to make a mana of any color. I literally, for the first time, just thought about putting this card with Jaspari Sentinels. Sentinels actually needs other one drops to be a lot better than it currently is. This card makes a lot of sense to fill that role. I think that this is also just a great mono red creature. It and the card that, that it was just talking about, I think they themselves just really pick up where mono red is currently at. So that is some initial interest for me. But I also think this card is playable in other formats. Like, I think it's playable in Historic. I think it's playable... It's I mean, it's like House in Popper. This card's so good. I'm not sure if it goes all the way into Pioneer, but I, I think it has a lot of play to it. Yeah, I love this card. Sorry to hop in the first right away. I think we talked about this before, but just how strong it is as like a 1-1 menace first strike, like that's really close to good enough. And then if you ever get to like play your like chonky topping card a turn early that's often enough to like end a game like if you ever played Seder in the past imagine or kindling phoenix tor brand those kind of cards coming down a turn early after putting in a little pressure that's a lot of mileage just a lot of bang for your buck and it has those other synergies and things that like a one drop gets to play and i, I think this is another great card i, I think so think far our strongest sleepers ever yeah i think that our sleepers are pretty good in this set i also just want to say that like while you can't immediately it's not like a free. One of the things Abe men had mentioned uh, that I want to make sure wasn't missed, that it's not like Wild Cantor, but it is still, you're, you're still ramping if you want it to act as just like a Lotus Petal on Suspend. Yeah, if you play it on one, you're probably getting a mana and two or three points of damage out of it. And that is a lot for Mono Red. That's Lava Spike plus Time Walk. <laughs> Lava Spike plus Time Walk has been called on cooldown. <laughs> I like on it. turn one <laughs> i'm playing gold and mental magic wars all i'm here yeah <laughs> uh my next card is galia's greeter galia greeters 
I'm informed that this card actually was talked about a little bit, but I still don't think it was talked about enough. I think this is an absolute banger and one of the best cards in the set. I, I think that people Let's underestimate do. how many decks that they could, what, this could go in. What, what does Gallic Reader do? Oh, thank you so much, Mason. Let me tell you. It is one and a green for a 1-1 one, one Elf Druid with Alliance. Whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, choose one that hasn't been chosen this turn. Put a 1-1 one, one counter on Gallic Readers. Create a tapped treasure token uh, and gain to life. I think that this card, that people are underestimating how many times you'll get multiple activations out of this if you want to, especially in like older formats. And I don't think it would be that hard to see a situation where like this just over time becomes like just a, you know, a great. The fact that it's a 1 1 counter is just so strong. Like I think people expect this to play out closer to something that gets not a 1 1 counter. Uh, but I, I think they'll be surprised. I think the versatility between, like, this card being able to, you know, in your creature deck, either be your slowly developing threat, where, like, you're just playing creatures every turn, and this card grows and, and stays relevant, or is your way to, like, have the mana to kind of, you know, get ahead of schedule, play your play your five drops a turn early, or even just, like, play two things, and then keep the ball rolling in that way. There's a lot of ways this card can play out, and when you play with, like, you know, in a deck with Collected Company or with, um, you know, Ways to Make Tokens, suddenly, like, your Raise the Alarm is doing two very relevant things to the game on top of what it's already doing. And that's just really, really a lot of power for a card that is so frictionless if you just want to be playing creatures. I think it can't be understated how much it helps stabilize in the mid to late and how much it helps snowball in the early. And it's not just the treasures. Like, Tap Treasure... Clearly, that card's strong, right? Like, the ability is pretty good. Otherwise, they wouldn't have put the clunky text of trap tap treasure. Uh, and so, like, that, but in combination with, like, put a plus one, plus one counter, it becomes very easy to, like, your opponent to not be able to push onto the board, you know? We look at things like uh, the Gold Hound, just as, like, you know, example, where an S Jasper Sentinels, you play that, you play this on two, and you play a one drop. Now your Sentinels get, like, a two, three, and actually start attacking. Stuff like that's pretty, uh, I think, important. So I think this card's great. What about your cards, Mason? So my first card is Maestro's Ascendancy, which is the Grixis Ascendancy. So it's blue, black, and red for an enchantment. And it says, once during each of your turns, you may cast an instant or sorcery spell from your graveyard by sacrificing a creature in addition to paying its other cost. If a spell cast this way would be put into your graveyard, exiled instead. So I think this card's a little bit of a stretch, but I do think that it holds, serves a really good role. So... And, like, you know, a grindy, like, mid-range Grixis deck, yeah, you get your spells twice. It's a great way to kind of, like, you know, maybe make a chump attack and then sacrifice it. Uh, sacrifice the creature gets blocked, right? And then you get them. That's all good. That's fine. But what I really like about this is things in older formats, like Pioneer, for example, where things like Rally the Ancestors haven't really seen a lot of play. These self-mill strategies are pretty strong. And you need some way to cast your big spells from the graveyard that your deck's built around. And historically, it's really easy to get a lot of creatures in play, but then you very often, your collective companies, your rallies, etc., end up in the yard, you can't cast them. This fixes that problem. Uh, and I think that's a pretty unique thing to do on a kind of hard-to-answer card type with enchantment. I know we're getting more and more answers, but in these sort of decks, that should not be a huge problem. And so I like this card a lot for those reasons, and I think it's just secretly very strong. I was thinking about this card last night, actually, after the podcast that we may or may not have recorded. And you had actually mentioned another card. I don't think it was for this card, but for another card in our set that I really like this for. And it was Merfolk Secret Keeper. Maybe it was Abe that mentioned it. I don't remember what card we were talking about for that. It was this one. I forgot about it. Yeah. Oh, was it this one? It was either that or Devil's Devil's yeah, I think, Rally. I think it was the other I, one. I have two Rally Ancestors yeah, yeah. cards on the list. Okay. But that made me think about, not, not just for Rally, though, but actually for Dredge in Modern. Like, when you think about how the Dredge deck in Modern functions and the colors that it currently is, um, because right now, I think the it plays white for some weird card. I actually think this might be better for Modern Dredge right now, especially Dredge Vine. This might go really well in that. You mean like the Crab Vine deck? Crab, yes, Crab Vine. Thank you. Turning all of your spells that you flip over into, like, pseudo, you know, Cabal Therapies or Dread Returns as far as their casting cost, I think that's, like, a really, really cool angle to enable. 
I personally am just most excited about the idea of playing this in Pioneer with, like, the Oni Cult Anvil mid-range shell or the Cat Oven shell, where, like, you already want to play all these cards, like, all these instant sorceries, but you kind of don't, especially in the vacuum of Luris, you don't have this card that slowly attritions you and claws you ahead. And this plays so well with Young Pyromancer that it's just self-fueling. You just have access to one one spell every turn of your graveyard. That this can be, like, like your Luris, and when you play it with, you know... Any recursive way of making tokens like Oni Cult Anvil, the experimental synthesizer, like your extra tutus, turning into more spells to interact, and you can play cards like Drown in the Lock, kind of play both sides of the ball really well. You can be more like the modern deck in the way you're composed and lean on this card as your card advantage. I, I think that's actually really, really promising. I don't know about all the rally stuff, because I think that putting the enchantments in your Coco deck might be, like your Coco and Rally deck, might be too many non-creature things, but... Those decks also played, like, the Jace Friend Prodigy for years because you needed a way to get that that rally out of your yard. You needed a way to, to set yourself up. And definitely, if this something that enables that, that's really, really powerful. It seems like a card that we will play a bunch of week one. Our decks will be really bad, and in five months, we'll have a pretty good version of a deck with this card. <laughs> Just how these things kind of go sometimes. It takes a little time to figure it out. My other card is Tenacious Underdog. This is one in a black for a human warrior 3-2. It has Blitz for two black black. So Blitz is, you can cast this card and it gains haste, sacrifice it at the end step of the turn. You Blitz it and then draw a card. Uh, and then you may cast this card from your graveyard using the Blitz ability. So two mana, three, two, that while in your graveyard, you can spend four mana and two life to bring back. You start drawing your card. If you have any sort of ways to sacrifice this card, it's really strong. Triggers prize amalgams is a thing that we talked a little bit about and probably bring up again here. I really like this card, you know, from standard from like super aggressive black decks to, you know, all the way back to Pioneer. I think this card is uh, secretly pretty strong. Yeah, I think that the place that I'm most excited about this is in just prized amalgam decks. I think it's really good. I've impressed by both the cost and the ability, so it's just a banger for me. This is like a better scrappy scrounger. I'm very impressed by this card. I think it's going to be a big player in something. And it's going to be, you know, one or two of in those prize milling decks. Let's move on to Hopeful. So in this category, it's kind of a card that we hope is good enough to show up in decks or that we hope enables something cool in the format. It was probably not quite there, but we really wanted to get there. And it's a cool thing to kind of showcase. So Spencer, what's your first Hopeful? Yeah, my first Hopeful is Vivian of the Hunt. It is four green green for a legendary planeswalker Vivian. Uh, sorry, it has four loyalty also. Uh, you can plus two if and if you do, you search a library for a creature card with mana value equal to plus one the sacrificed creatures converted mana cost put it onto the battlefield then shuffle plus one mill five cards put any number of creature cards mill this way into your hand and minus one create a four four green rhino warrior i said it on the show that that twin pot is my favorite deck of all time so i don't think it's that hard to figure out why this card is sweet to me i also just think that this is just a strong six mana planeswalker even if you didn't have that ability, that excites me. Like, I, this is easily one of my favorite cards in the set. Yeah, I'm interested in modern with the Planeswalker show and tell. You can, you know, uh, I forget the name of it, but basically you put a walker in, it's a two drop, then you sack it, and then you go grab uh, something that flickers, I can't remember, then you get Felidar Guardian, you sack that, you get Karmic Guide, Karmic Guide, flickers, and then you turn into Kiki-Jiki, and then you win the game, which is super sick. And in it, the implications of the format, it's going to be a very awesome puzzle to solve, in my opinion. I'm excited to see how it comes together. I think it's wild that this card just makes four fours. When you think about Renan 7 makes a bunch of star stars, you go lands you have. But not not like every other turn, right? Like, even after you've made three, this one does it every other turn. Yeah, this one just makes this one just makes one every turn for three turns. Right, not exactly. Pressure, right? Like, that's, that's really huge. And also the ability for it to just, you know, turn through and draw your cards or find the creature you need. This is like a a huge hit. If there's a world where we're playing six mana planeswalkers and mid range fights, this is like one of the best ones I can I can imagine. I think it's really sweet. Yeah, it reminds me of when we had that five mana Garrick and then that six mana Garrick in standard in a row. As far as like standards concerned, I think this fits into those kind of planeswalker veins where like they kind of could even shape like sizing in the format, depending on how good they are. Yeah, it's definitely one of those Planeswalkers you want to play when you're playing just a deck with a bunch of other creatures, and that ends. What's your next card, Spencer? My next card is Cabaretti Ascendancy, uh, and this is probably just a boomer card on my list. For That's why it sits in the hopefuls, is 
you know, at the beginning of your upkeep, you look at the top card of your library. If it's a creature or a Planeswalker card, you may reveal it and put it into your hand. If you don't put the card into your hand, you may put it on the bottom of your library. Abe does this card more justice when speaking about it than I do. It's the type of magic that I enjoy playing, and it's really why it's my helpful. I just want games to be about this type of thing, and it feels like they haven't been in a long time. This one's like got enough of it that maybe it sees play, and I really hope that it does because I think it means that standard will be in a cool place. Quarter card every turn, baby. That's what's a good. That's what makes a good card advantage card. Just scrapping for every every millimeter of a game. Isn't that right, Mason? I love to play a card to hope to get a card. <laughs> you get a card no matter what, right? If you don't want the cards, if you don't want the card, you get a bo- yeah, you get a scry put on the bottom. How many scries to the bottom is worth a card to you, Mason? I have a question. Do we consider temples draw cards? You know, how, come how on, let's just. I need a, I need us to rewind us for a second, okay? If you were had the London Mulligan and you top, what was the outcome of that? Did you lose your scry, Mason? Wait, I'm, I'm, making, a, I'm, I'm making a the, joke. The, the, the London is what we have. Oh, now. sorry, the Vancouver. The Vancouver. Yeah, yeah, yeah the I Vancouver. do mean the Vancouver. Yeah, the, well, the Vancouver is you, you go to six and then scry and then five or scry. Right. Yeah, yeah, I, play, I played during that time. Right. Yeah, I, you put it on I, top. Yeah, what, ha- what, is, what is the joke about putting it on top, Mason? I would never top a card for scry. That's, that's not, <laughs> I, I would never waste value. Don't be silly. <laughs> yeah, so this card's generating loads yeah. of value. You get in there, Mason. You're catching up. <laughs> mm, I flew the fifth. If this is a draw card, scry one four times, that's so good, Mason. You can't deny it. Uh, that's some fun magic for sure. Yeah, <laughs> it probably, it's pretty good. In my colossal plow deck. I'll tell you that. This plow deck I'm talking about that I play at work during hey, uh, lunch. Hopeless don't even be hits. This is what I want magic to be about, and mm-hmm. thus it's my helpful. <laughs> That's why yeah, I'm not pooping on it. It's raid that they can't just kill or ignore. Oh man, that sounds. Do you guys remember Dommy raid? That's like one of my favorite planeswalkers ever. Fun fact: my first ever event for Magic Gate Crash pre-release opened a foil Domi Raid, traded it for a mono red deck. I think that might be the reason I love this card. Maybe it gave me Domi Raid vibes and just like the nostalgia. We just went into overdrive. I think my favorite Domi Raid story, since you have both have one, I guess, is that when it was in Standard and that it was a Naya deck, this kid who was playing it got told by his friends that if you ever are playing it's blue white and you see a Thundermile Hellkite on top, don't reveal it. Because then they'll just tap out and cast Supreme Verdict on you. And you'll get to get them with the dragon because they don't know it's coming. And that was when I realized that people from New York were not as good at magic as they were telling me they were. Anyway. <laughs> wow. Dagger shot. All right. Well, my first hopeful <laughs> is Devilish Valet. So for two in a red, you get a creature Devil Warrior. It's a warrior. It has trample and haste, and then has alliance. And the alliance is whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, double this creature's power. So there's a lot of pretty interesting things along those lines. Uh, the first thing I think that comes to everyone's mind is uh, rally the ancestors. You kind of bring back everything. So by the way, here's the, the quick math. If you bring back four creatures, your devilish valet is at 16 power, which I posit is enough to win most games of Pioneer. At five, it is 32 power, which I posit normally kills them. So you're trying to achieve that sort of thing. So the big thing that I thought about this a bunch with is Riley Ancestors. You can main phase it. You bring back this, maybe another one. Pretty easily uh, kill the opponent. The other one that really kind of jumps out to me is one of the party cards. And its name, I'm forgetting, so I am searching for at the moment is Thwart the Grave. So Thwart the Grave is four black black sorcery. This spell costs one less to cast for each creature in your party. Return target creature cards in up to one cleric, rogue, warrior, or wizard from your graveyard to the battlefield. So I kind of want to do something along those lines as another way to get this thing back with a bunch of stuff and hit them really hard. There's a white party creature that makes one ones for the other creatures in your party. Yeah, there is. I, I forget the exact name, but that that is a, another one. I believe it's a cleric too. So it like allows the Devil's Rally to be an insta kill. So I want to try that for standard. I want to try the Rally in modern. And I, I'm sorry, in Pioneer. And I, I want to try like generally token based strategies with this card. So I'm hopeful it gets to enable some really cool like beat down combo decks, quote unquote. Uh, and I, I think it's just a, a sick card too. Yeah, I think I think that we've already mentioned another card that this goes with in standard on the podcast. In like Naya tokens with this and Gala just seem the Gala card seems really strong. 
Uh, I also think that this seems really strong in historic in the, I think I have a deck tech on kind of just like the classic rule historic tech over on the YouTube channel if you're watching. And I think that we were doing some math and kind of talking about it. And that deck played already was capable of playing like a lot of haste creatures to pressure them. In addition to, you know, burning tree, being able to let you play another creature and stuff like that. I think this card fits really well into those, those company versions of that deck rather than like the really heavy Embercleave versions. I have some interest there. Although you could, as Abe said, you could put an Embercleave on it still. Well, then it's doubled again. It's double the doubling. You only need four creatures. So there's the anthems. Abe, is there anything you want to say about it before I... Uh, it's, it's just a card that's waiting to be broken. There's something going on there. I hadn't even thought about the party synergy until you had brought it up. But with that card that makes the tokens, like, that alone there is three triggers. What, with, like, one anthem or, like, one more party creature? That's a kill right there. Yeah, you know what I yep. just thought about? The, like, enchantments that boost power and make tokens? Those actually seem really good with this. Like, yeah, put some, I, put I some pants on it that make tokens. My other card is Endless Detour. This is an instant for Bant, so green, white, and blue. And then it says, the owner of target spell, non-land permanent or card in a graveyard, puts it on top or bottom of their library. So, essentially, it is like divide by zero for a lot of cases, but it has the fail-safe mode of return a card from your graveyard on top of your deck. So, for example, like maybe your Leer dies and you draw this in the late game. You can bring back your Leer. Just things along that nature. Uh, I think this card is quite good. And then has some combo potential where like it's interruption, but also doubles as getting a combo piece back. Uh, or interaction, I should say. Sorry. I think this card's really cool, and I'm excited to play with it. I can't believe you're hopeful for getting your spell Aether Gusted every turn. It's so funny because I think I sit right in the middle of you two where like I really want to do this to people but I really don't want to have this happen to me. <laughs> like <laughs> the card seems really strong to me but I don't know that I want to play a format where it's really strong. I also like these type of cards so it's kind of I'm like between a rock and a hard place with this one. I just never see myself using any mode other than start temporaling your stupid spells that you cast or have resolved and i'm like man it's cool that i can cast a card i wouldn't play in most of my draft decks but i'll just tempo you out of the game it's like <laughs> just, so, just wait till so uh, your leer dies your leer dies you gotta get get her back as you get this back you're gonna do it a little eot give me Pulling a command at home when i live on bant yeah, exactly. <laughs> so listen, man, you don't have Coligan's Command Standard, but you do have Lear and a Dream. Abe, what's your first hopeful? This one goes out to Boomer Jund, Riveteer's Charm, which is the Jund uh, part of the charm cycle that we're getting. Uh, charms, of course, being, in this case, the, the three color charms being one man of each color as they are. This is the Jund one, so black, red, and green. They're instants with three modes you choose one of. And the modes on this one are target opponent sacrifices a creature or planeswalker they control with the highest value among creatures and planeswalkers they control. Highest mana value, sorry, among creatures and planeswalkers they control. Exile the top three cards of your library. Until your next end step, you may play those cards. Uh, or exile target player to graveyard. I think this card, I don't know, it feels like it's been a long time since a Jun player, or the majority of the Jun players who were the boomer Jun players have been thrown a bone. And I hope that this card lands. I think that, like, it's right in there on the power level of a card that is, like, flexible enough because it will either trade one for one with something that matters. You know, it can kill in modern, like, a Merktide Regent guaranteed or, like, you know, kill the Planeswalker you're worried about. Or if you your opponent kind of doesn't play into this pattern, you get to just draw three cards or have the opportunity at three cards since all of your cards are really proactive. And so in a deck that's always trying to either trade one for one or, you know, put itself ahead one piece, this card fits in so perfectly, and having the covering of, like, exiling someone's graveyard feels really good, and I just hope that this is something that, you know, makes an impact there, because I think that as much as it gets memed on for being a boomer deck, it's it's really cool to me when I play modern and people are still playing gun decks, so I hope that, uh, hope that this is a new addition to keep that deck fresh. I'm a pretty big fan of this card. I think that it has chops in in modern, legitimately. I also think it has chops in other formats. The three cards is just quite a few cards, and in some decks and formats, like you will get you will get three off of this. What's actually funny to think about is that it encourages you to build your Jun deck in the way that Luris built it by itself. So it lets you kind of have that encouragement for cheaper spells 
to maximize this just there, which I think just streamlining Jun just makes it a better deck anyway. I'm excited to try this out in that deck and in other decks for what it's worth. I think that like, you know, you might be able to find uses for this and like the historic uh, Jun deck also basically already only plays one drops um, because it plays Luris. So it might actually just fit in there. Yeah, I, I could see this going in, you know, basically any format where people play Jund. I don't know about you, Mason. It's pretty strong. Uh, the The Graveyard Exile mode is a great failsafe mode, so I think at times where that mode is really relevant, having this kind of card in your main deck makes it much stronger. It makes it, like, appealing to play versus, like, just kind of fine. But, like, you know, holding up mana and then EOTing on their turn, draw three, and then, you know, most likely hit your land drop off that and then play two spells is pretty strong. So... Uh, I have higher shopes for this card. Yeah, it's a single card pincher. You know, if they play into it, then you get to take the trade for three mana, which is probably good if they play something worth killing. And if not, then you just draw three cards, which is a lot of cards. It's two divinations worth of cards, people. You go plus two. Sorry, the last thing I just wanted to say on it is that I also think that the the largest creature mode plus the three cards by itself might make it standard playable, which is nice. Meaning that, like, if there are graveyard interactions, this card is just a knockout of the park in the format. And if not, I think that like in formats like standard, it still has some chops if there's a gen deck. It's so well crafted. I really hope that it shows up because all on its own, when I think about playing with it, really, really checks my functions. The other card that I'm hopeful for is um, Angel of Suffering, which is a three black black for a five three flying creature, Nightmare Angel. And it has, if damage be dealt to you, prevent that damage and mill twice that many cards. The reason I'm hopeful for this card is because this is the first time I think this effect has been put on a magic card at all. The ability to, like, say, if you're taking damage, mill cards instead. And there has to be some way to use this to, like, in an abusive way of damaging yourself and milling yourself out in, or enabling some sort of cool graveyard thing. And I hope that someone finds it. I hope that the people out there who think about these things, who do this science they find the way to make this into some combo that's cool because I think that whenever they print an effect like this asking for how to be used, it's really... Sure, it's like, oh, I don't know how good or bad it is if I get milled instead of taking damage. You know, how much damage am I taking is one thing, but turning that into a piece of an engine, I think is something I'm really hopeful to to see happen. I think it's a really cool opportunity. You know what I think they really need? They need motivation. They need somebody to prove wrong. And I am here to be that person. I'm here as that person that is going to tell you I don't. I don't think it's it, man. I don't think this card's going to be able to do it, do much. I hope, just like you, that I'm that I'm wrong. I just got to find that deal twenty damage to yourself. Spell, man. Yeah, exactly. Star of extinction. <laughs> oh wait, hold up, wait a minute. Bit blast, or wait, not bit blast. What's the name of the blastman's act? All right, Blast we got there. Act with my Boros got, Reckoner so I can there. kill my angel and deal the damage to myself. <laughs> oh, yeah. Does it all happen at once? Let's go. Oh, there there are those cards, though, where you can, like, you can choose a number. Like, you have the bidding cards where you choose a number, and then the spell deals damage to you as it resolves. Yeah, there's two two in a you, black. You just uh, have to give this indestructible first, right? Yeah, you just need to give it an indestructible. Yeah. Or a shield counter. I'm yeah, sorry. see? Shield counter is a new but, part of the set. But see, I'm, 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 being, I'm being helpful. See, Spencer, uh, you're in my corner here, I feel like. No, I feel no like I'm telling you that I watched... You're saying you're on the I'm other telling side. you... I'm, I'm memeing here. But I am I am saying, like, I think that the cool part about this card is that it asks a question, and that's awesome. Yeah, I, I hope that there's something out there in the game engine that does this. I guess it doesn't work with paying life, which would be the easiest way, but... It works really well with Underworld Breach. Oh, yeah, it does. I'll cast that Lava Spike target me, get those three cards back. Mm -hmm. If it was legendary, you have Mox Amber. Oh, I was going to say Black Lotus out of my graveyard because I'm playing Vintage. uh, Well, I think you're. uh, You know what? That actually sounds like a good place to break this card wide open for what it's worth. Yeah, just putting a random five drop. I'm going to get real weird. To get real weird. weird. Let's go. Underground Seed Lotus. That's a lock, baby. Yeah, yeah, Wheel of Sun and Moon, you can't lose. Yeah, that's a that's a platinum angel in my absence. I love to jump through hoops for a card that is not good when I don't jump through hoops. You know, speaking of things people like, why don't we hear Spencer? What's your favorite card? I'm done. Oh man, <laughs> uh, you want my actual favorite in the set? 
No, we want uh, your one of your pick twos. No, no, I know. I'm, <laughs> no, no, I thought no. I thought that he was asking me like because they're in a different order. So I'm going to go with my actual favorite card in the set. This card is one and a green and a green. It's a plant dinosaur. It's a four four. It has a vigilance. It's called Taperi Stomper. I think I don't know. I don't know how to say it. But when it enters the battlefield, you search your library for your basic land card, put it on the battlefield tapped. Can't attack a block unless you have seven or uh, control seven or more lands. This card's really good. I think that there is a certain three mana other dinosaur that people want to compare it to. It's uh, Wayward Swordtooth, I believe is the name of the card, Basin. And I think this card's just better in standard than that card by a lot. Well, one, that card I don't think was very good in standard. And I think the fact that this gets the land fixes your mana and can pretty easily, you know, be a laking card for a ton of different style of decks while also ramping you. I think it's really good. I don't know that you needed to do a lot to put, you know, a ramp spell on a card to get me to like it, but this was more than enough. Yeah, ramp spell four four. That's just that's just Spencer Howland. Yeah, it really is though. Like you put you took away Savage Nuggleblade's abilities and put a land into play instead, like Come on, That's let's way, go. It's way better than all those abilities combined. <laughs> and just like Savage Echo Blade, it never got to attack. <laughs> no, but, but the not attacker block clause, like there's a lot of ways to get around it, right? Like like your Vivian you mentioned before, it's a great thing to pod into or pod from a three to a four. Uh, it's a great thing to hit off Storm the Festival. Um, you know, like you kind of want to have things like your ramp spell being stormable. What's cool is it works on the other side too, right? Like it ramps you to storm. It then ramps you after storm to like get you enough land so that it can attack. Like it, it, it works really well there. You storm into a Felidar retreat in this. Oh man, that sounds hot. That sounds sick. That's a lot of material. You got a lot going on. Yeah. So I think this card is uh pretty strong. Yeah. My next card is, I don't think that it's strong. It is my, one of my favorite cards in the set. It's exotic pets. It's one, a white, and a blue for an instant create two one one blue fish tokens with this creature can't be blocked. Then for each kind of counter among creatures you control, put a counter of that kind among those tokens. This card's weird, but I think that it there is a world in which it could see play, and I think that the ability being so unique uh, is also pretty sweet. I don't think that it would be that hard to think of situations where you have like a shield counter and a 1-1 counter lying around, or like Vigilance, Lifelink. There, there are other counters that you can get, and Mason actually is going to talk about a card that gives out a lot of t- different counters, and I was thinking about that last night as well. So I've got some sweet fish in the art. Yeah, I do think that the orange fish are pretty freaking cool looking. Th- this art is actually really sweet. Uh, I might look into trying to buy this art. I actually really like it. Also, the card, like, if there's like a blue-white flash deck, uh, you can do that sort of thing with this. It's really cool. I've memed about, like, I'm going to Elspeth Conqueror's deck back a creature with the loyalty counter and then move the loyalty counter, like, here or somewhere and then graph it onto a Planeswalker and, like, Proliferate Cube or something. So stay woke. Proliferate Cube All-Star? We do have Delver of Secrets in Standard also, which I just realized. And I was just thinking how much the Delver deck in Standard would have liked this card before. So now I'm kind of tempted to look at Jeskai Mana and see if we can... uh, make some delver happen i don't know yeah i mean between alliance and maybe wanting to have a bunch of spells in your deck spells make creatures are sweet and you know if you get the have plus one plus one counter stuff or modify stuff from uh from kamigawa going on that's already that's already sweet value yeah i would i would wonder if this was good enough to make delver like help out delver in historic for example mason talked about kind of wanting a flash style deck and i think delver fits really well into those too my first favorite is Urbras the Heretic Praetor. It's three-year-old red for a legendary creature, Praetor. Uh, this one has haste and is a 4-4. And at the beginning of your upkeep, exile the top card of your library. You may play it this turn. Then it has at the beginning of each opponent's upkeep. The next time they would draw a card this turn, instead, exile the top card of their library. They may play it this turn. So the reason this is my favorite is it's a really cool design. All of the Praetors half something for your opponent and double it for you. So in this one, it's the drawing cards one, right? And your opponent, how you half drawing a card? Well, you exile it, so you have to spin it now. You don't get to keep it. You don't get the advantage of choosing your time to play it. So I think it's just a really cool design. Get right counter spell. Not really much to talk about. Probably if this card is four mana, we'd be talking for standard. My other favorite is one that's actually probably worth talking about, and that's Jax's the Troublemaker. 
So Jax is a legendary creature, human warrior. Hello, a human and a warrior. We got parties and we got humans and modern. Oh my goodness. For a 2-3. And it's blitz for one in red. And then this creature has red tap discard a card. Create a token that's a copy of another target creature you control. It gains haste. And when this creature dies, draw a card. Sacrifice the creature at the beginning of the next end step. So it basically gives the blitz text to another creature. I think this card's really interesting. It has a lot of different ways that kind of can play out. The first way to kind of look at this card is it's three mana for a like a divination of sorts, right? Like you play it, then you can tap discard a card. I guess it's more rummaging, sorry. And you make a token copy of a creature, and then you draw two cards at the end of the turn because this got blitzed, and that thing got essentially blitzed. But you can also stick this thing as a creature straight up, and then like you know over multiple turns, you can kind of turn discard lands and turn them into resources. And I think in the formats like Pioneer and Modern, uh, the fact that the human actually really matters, and copying things like Reflector Mage, Thalia's Lieutenant are huge, huge payoffs. And when you get to cast this thing straight up and trigger your human stuff, that's really strong. And if you just kind of use it as that, like that one shot, like it enters, it makes Lieutenant bigger, makes another Lieutenant, and then you draw two cards. I think that's pretty reasonable for a, uh, a card to be in Pioneer. And so I really like Jaxus, and there's a lot of other cool things you can do. Like if you can banish your priest, the Jaxus you blitz. Uh, and then you use its ability on the Banisher Priest, then you'll have your Jaxus live and not get died to the Blitz cost. So th- there's a lot of really cool things that happen with Jaxus. Yeah, it's the uh, the impatient person's fable the Mirror Breaker, almost. I don't have time to wait around for all these chapters of this saga. Just get to the good stuff. It does have a lot of a lot of sick, sick ways to pop off, for sure. I really like the idea of using it in humans to, like, turn... Especially because that deck doesn't really have any ways to use its excess mana outside of, like, throwing stuff with General Kudro. Like, your fifth, sixth, whatever lands, turning into copying creatures, getting up to battlefield triggers, and like turning them into fresh cards seems like a, a pretty big boon to those decks. Also, you just hit me Fable the Mirror Breaker with Devilish Valet. Ooh, copy themselves into turn, and you're copy copying you just vroom. This with Devilish Valet? You copy the Devilish Valet. Mm-hmm. And that one's like smaller, but it pumps the other one. Yeah, and then you play another creature, bam. Bam. Anything you want to say, Spencer? I think that this card really surprised me when uh, we were talking about it the other day. This is one of those cards that when I was looking at the set, I was like, this seems really close to good enough, but I didn't wasn't sure if it was quite there. But we we have talked about enough stuff that like it's piqued my interest, and I'm excited to kind of see what can be done with it. Hey, what are your two favorites? My two favorites start with Incandescent Aria, which is a Naya Sorcery, so just red, green, white. Incandescent Aria deals three damage to each non-token creature. I think this card is really 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 interesting usually the use cases for wanting a three mana deal three damage to each creature spell is cleaning up something like tokens that get out of hand but this card not doing that like kind of makes it a card you're not sure you even want to play unless you are a token deck and i think that adding that kind of interesting tension to that effect really makes this card entirely different than something like an anger of the gods or a uh uh, sweltering suns kind of card and it's really interesting to me to see like you know is this something that winds up being playable is it something that keeps down maybe smaller creature decks that don't play tokens but you know enabling token decks to find their room i think it's something that's really really interesting and i just like how such an innocuous pairing of effects changes the dynamic of the entire card i i'm surprised this is one of your sleepers um this is a card that when i was looking at it i thought could be depending on like how decks are built kind of like format defining in something like standard. I think it's quite good. I am curious to see like if it changes the size of the creatures in the format if it sees play. Like decides part of sizing. Yeah, I think it really could. I don't know about you, Mason. Yeah, I think it cards like Anger and Sweltering Suns have shown that they can play pretty big roles even if they're just post-board from decks. Um, and I could see this doing a very similar thing. And in the the Naya colors in this set are really big on making a lot of tokens as they are in general. So this turns into Plague Wind a lot of the time. Uh, and yeah, I, I think it's pretty strong. Yeah, you um, play this with your uh, what is it, wedding announcement. Announcement? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so many things in, in white right now. Between wedding announcement, wandering emperor, things that just make tokens. And this playing along well with that seems, seems kind of interesting. Although I wonder if an, all of that stuff is so good that it's not going to be 
good enough against those things and that's actually yeah it can push itself out that's fair yeah I, i just think it's a really neat design my other favorite card is unleash the inferno which is one green black red for an instant unleash the inferno deals seven damage target creature or planeswalker when it deals excess damage this way, destroy target artifact or enchantment opponent controls with mana value less than or equal to that amount of excess damage. There's a lot of reasons I could like this card. You know, this card, it's a two for one, a little four mana, deal seven to your creature, kill your other thing. Um, but the real reason I like it is that this thing knows what it's doing. When it deals excess damage. There is no if. There is no maybe if you deal some excess damage. This card knows if you're dealing seven, you're dealing the excess damage and you're killing something else with it. And I just love that kind of confidence on a card. When I read it, I immediately fell in love with just that level of certainty. It's, it's probably one of my it's favorite so text boxes it's in, pretty great. in a long time. It's up it's there great. with um, the 5-4 that's like uh, Iron Fist Belarzno or whatever. There's just so many good text lines and this one's not flavor text. This is just a good text box. I uh, was thinking about this card also last night. And because of the the gold hound, I think that card could lift up some of the things that the blue red Tezzeret deck was trying to do at the beginning of last standard. And this card actually seems insane against that deck. Like a really good cyborg card where you're like able to kill like one of their small dinky artifacts with it, deal XX damage, and then destroy their board. Oh, I mean this cleanly answers a Tezzeret that plussed yeah. and a bankbuster, I think, right? Yeah. So like it goes to five and Bankbuster costs two. I, after I was thinking about that blue red deck, I was like, oh, you know what? That card that we talked about on the podcast actually seems lit against that deck. And it knows. You're dealing excess damage. Let's move on to hits. So these are cards that we think are going to make up wave for sure, without a doubt. These are the things that we kind of are putting our eggs in our basket. We would, you know, try and buy and pre-order. And my first one is Elspeth Resplendent which has, has gotten a little hate, so we're going to talk about that too. So Elspeth is three white-white for a Planeswalker Elspeth with five loyalty counters. If plus one, choose up to one target creature, put a plus one, plus one counter on it, and a counter from among the following types as well. So you can give it a flying, first strike, lifelink, or vigilance counter. So it's plus one, plus one, and one of those keywords to a creature. You have minus three, look at the top seven cards of your library. You may put a permanent card with mana value three or less from among them, onto the battlefield with a shield counter on it. Put the rest in the bomb library in random order. We have not talked about shield counters yet. Basically, shield counter says if a creature would take damage or be destroyed, uh, if you have a shield counter on it, remove the shield counter instead. Very much like a divine shield from Hearthstone. Uh, and then minus seven, make five, three, three white angel creature tokens of flying. There's some statements about like, hey, Mono White already has these Wander Emperors as our top end. Like, it's really hard to have a lot of extra top end and stuff like that. But I think this card's kind of a one of, maybe a two of in this, of those kind of decks. And then also, in other grindy mid-range creature decks, uh, you know, you can have a couple more of these. And her plus one breaks up stalls in the battlefield in so many different ways, right? Imagine the air's clogged up. Well, now one of your creatures has first strike. Or imagine, you know, there's a race situation going on. Now your creature has lifelink. Imagine there are no creatures of flying. Now one of the creatures has flying, you know? Because it's like Adeline as well, which already has vigilance. So pretty huge there. And I think the thing that people aren't talking about enough is that the minus three says permanent card. Does not say creature. So for cyborg cards, like if we have a rest in peace type card, like the hearse that uh, Abe mentioned at the top of the show, if you have something along the lines of, you know, an anthem or maybe another planeswalker, anything like that. You know, all of the ascendancies are three mana value enchantments. Giving them a shield counter makes them so much harder to kill. Elsa Three Splinit just looks to really give you so much bang for your buck. And I, and I think it's great. And then the minus seven, you know, will probably win the game in a lot of spots. I love hearing you talk about this card quite a bit. It just makes me happy. While you were just talking, I was thinking about the green-white mid-range deck that played specifically Gideon and I think it was like the second version or whatever of the green-white tokens deck. And the, the way you were talking about this card reminded me of where I thought the level of Avacyn was going to be on power level. And that's like a pretty big compliment to pay a card because that card rocked standard. Another parallel to the draw there is that we also have the Wandering Emperor that would fit into that style of the deck. And we already have a green-white mid-range deck in standard right now. So that's very interesting. Yeah, I can't be more impressed by this card. And I think if people, if you're someone out there who is a doubter of this card, 
I want you to consider that this is the only Planeswalker other than Teferi Hero of Dominaria that defends itself while generating card advantage. The fact that you can cast this minus immediately and put something into play, so then you've gotten your value, it's like getting you something out of your deck with a shield counter, like getting you value and you still have the Planeswalker that's owning the board is so powerful. Can't emphasize enough how if you think you're not thinking about this card as a real threat uh, and a real contender to be one of the best cards in standard, you should be. Like we already talk about sometimes as a community, like, wow, there's so many good white cards. They all just cost three. How am I going to fit them all in my deck? It's like, yeah, I can minus this thing and get one of those very good three drops we have trouble choosing between. If I minus this into a Skyclave Apparition and I get something good off of your side of the board, that is such a huge swing. You're so far ahead if you do that because they're not even going to get the token back easily out of your uh, Skyclave Apparition and you still have the Planeswalker. It just does so much and is you're able to get off the Storm Festival. There's a million reasons this card is great. And uh, yeah, it's absolute hit. Like knock, knock out of the park. My other card is one that I have not heard many people talk about, but I think once you play with and against it a little bit where you hear this pitch, you're going to be about it. It's Black Market Tycoon, we talked about the top of the show. It's red and a green for a cat rogue. Hello, party synergies. It's a 2 2. It says at the beginning of your upkeep, Black Market Tycoon, sorry, deals two damage to you for each treasure you control. Tap, create a treasure token. So, on its face, it is Paradise Druid, right? You can play it on turn two. On turn three, you can tap it, make a mana, sack the mana instantly, play your four drop. That's great. That's awesome. These sort of cards always see play. If you just activate it at the end of the next turn, and then you untap and you're willing to take two damage, you're now up another mana, which is pretty huge. And I get that that's kind of bad, but I offer you this. How many times would you be willing to take one of the mana value of your spell and turn it into Phyrexian mana? Or to allow you to double spell? Because that's essentially what this does, right? You spend two life to get one more mana, assuming your Black Market Tycoon untaps, and boom, you've got the mana... You've also got the artifact for random synergies along those lines when it comes to things like Onikoli Anvil. Just imagine how strong this is for allowing double spells. You play, you know, four and a two or three and a three, or you play something big like your, you know, Voren Collect or something along those lines on turn four just by having the treasure and then activating it for another treasure. I think Black Market Tycoon is one of the best cards in the set and will just enable so many red, green, X like three and four color decks while also just being a total house in so many aggressive decks. It's just. It's an all-star card. It doesn't even stop there because this is also Paradise Druid that if you build your deck right, you know, you can play uh, the card I was talking about earlier, a Professional Facebreaker and this card together, and now it says tap, draw a card, you know, or you play it with um, Onicult Anvil. It says tap, make an artifact to sack to your anvil. There's so much you can do with a treasure token beyond the fact that this is just standards version of Devoted Druid. You just get two mana on one turn if you wait way to use it and that's just such a huge leap to make that if you build your deck to to be using it it's incredibly strong speaking of devoted druid if i can get into my hits is that good let's hear it yeah, yeah, yeah all yeah, right yeah. my first hit is uh luxior giada's gift uh luxior giada's gift is a one mana legendary artifact equipment uh and it says equip creature gets plus one plus one for each counter on it or equip permanent isn't a planeswalker and is a creature in addition to his other types has equip planeswalker one and equip three so you can put it on a planeswalker for one mana or on any creature for three this card allows devoted druid to go make infinite mana because for the minus one minus one counters it gets plus plus one to even it out and that was already you know devoted druid is a card that has been comboing in modern for a long time i don't think it's really adding much new there but the thing this is adding is the capability for more of the good cards in modern to be played with devoted druid you can now just play Stoneforge Mystics and tutor for Luxior when you have an avenue towards the combo or play a more fair game plan around Stoneforge Mystic and Urza Saga because this can also get fetched by Urza Saga. And I think that that like really opens a really big door for that deck to change into something, into its Zoomer incarnation since Modern Horizon 2 has come out where it is kind of a deck that I would probably build it as a deck that plays the good mid-range cards and then has devoted druids in them with some capability combo with walking ballista or you know some ways to use having infinite mana or just having this manic powerful mana accelerant in your deck but isn't necessarily so tied to playing like vizier of remedies or collected company these cards that are solely about just getting the combo into play and, and going off i think it's got a lot of a lot of shops i don't know how you guys feel about it i think this is one of the cards that i've seen the most talk about i think that i specifically see this as like a modern card 
and I think that's okay for a card to be a hit in a set. And this card specifically, I think, kind of reminds me of what we talked about with the angel, where it, like, it asks a question, but I don't think that the question that it's asking is too difficult to solve. It's a pretty unique effect. It is likely that this card will one day see modern play, in my opinion. I think you have to solve the problem of your deck interacting and impeding your opponent's game plan, because infinite mana to voted druid was not a problem already we have a lot of tutors and a lot of ways to get it which is good and the kind of the pitch on this card is hey we get stoneforge mystic we get urza saga great strong cards no one here is going to argue against that that makes our deck able to play a more fair game plan as such you know we've got this new element to the deck which is true you do get that new fair game plan i think making your game more fair opens you up to get interacted with more with the devoted druid i believe and so I think you need more cards, like Abe was mentioning how he wants to build the deck with have a lot of good white interaction and stuff like that. Solve the problem of like, okay, my deck slowed down. How do I, you know, compensate for that? Because before the plan was, well, we're going to go blistering fast, walking blister, you know, turn three, kill you. And now you're like looking for turn five-ish kills, turn six, and that's a lot more time for them to draw like an unholy heat. So, yeah, I wonder if it's possible that you can afford to even play something like Karn with this, uh, with that package. Because like that's the way that a lot of decks that have this problem end up fixing the problem is they'll play Karn to get the interaction that they need in kind of the medium turns. If you become more of like um podish style deck, like old school birthing pod, but you would probably have to do it a bigger style of deck. You actually had mentioned playing Yurion with in this version, yeah, right? My my first inclination is to play, yeah, like Yurion with Solitude and Eldarmory's call and stuff. I do like the idea of Karn though. I wonder if you can fit in Karn into that shell, because then you actually have enough space to have all the stuff, uh, including Karn. I, I built the deck we're talking about, where it's... I, I My, my build's Naya, but it's it's Naya Yorion. We have the Tutors, you have Karn as uh, part of the deck, because you get one and one there. You get the Stoneforge Mission Package, which, you know, it's very strong, whatever, also works well with Karn in different ways. And then you also get all those interaction creatures and you get things like Giffer of Runes, etc., which help like your Stoneforge Mystic draws and you kind of just have it in your deck. So you get to tutor up all these sort of powerful things and your Finale Devastation doubles as another way to win with like one Walking Ballista. And then you have Renin 6 plus Urza Saga as your go-long plan if they like are just overload on interaction and that game plan beats overload plans. And so it's something that I'm interested in streaming when it comes out. But I, I feel like even the build that at least I have which has access to a lot of solitudes and a lot of like other uh, like prismatic ending and a little bit of March. I feel, I still feel like I need a little more interaction and maybe that's wrong. And maybe we can kind of punk them enough that uh, we don't need as much interaction, but it's interesting. And it's, it's one of the cooler puzzles in the set. Yeah. I do really like that. Uh, Devoted Druid plays, plays well with Karn. I think that that's definitely not. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of options. I agree. My other hit is another card. I think slots right into a familiar archetype, which is Giada font of hope. One and a white for a 2-2 legendary creature angel. It has flying and vigilance, and it says each other angel you control enters the battlefield with an additional plus one, plus one counter on it for each angel you already control. And it also has tap, add white mana. You can spend this mana only to cast an angel spell. This card, along with um, Youthful Valkyrie, just double the amount of good cards you can play in the angels decks that existed for a long time in uh in historic and like you know kind of i think tried for a bit to bridge the gap into pioneer i think that this is like such a good pickup that it is like almost immediately like a defibrillator pulse to the archetype i think that that deck has been kind of not keeping up with the way that the format is has come but having access to a card that scales all of your other uh angels are putting into play as a deck that's only creatures while also giving you the mana to get the things get things out, uh, coming down a turn before you start casting the three drops that really make your deck good, it is the real deal, for sure. Will immediately make those decks very, very much more contenders than they were. My first card we're going to talk about is Workshop Warchief. This card is three green green for a creature rhino where it has trample, ADTBs, and you gain three life. When it dies, you create a four four green uh, warrior creature token. You could, as Blitz for four green green. I am pretty impressed by this card. I think that there's a few places that I can see this. I saw on Twitter people talking about it as a need in the current mono green pioneer deck, the devotion decks. I also just think that mono green in standard between this 
and Vivian actually gets to go a little bit bigger. And I'm interested in like trying to make a mono green pod style deck with like this and Prosperous Innkeeper. It also gets to play Troll because Trolls, sacrificing a Troll is not like bad. Stuff like that. In addition to just being a really good five drop in to have in the format is whether it's a sideboard card, whether it's, you know, it, uh, it's standard implications are it's a huge value creature. The other thing that I want to say on it is just that the Blitz it might give it playability past that in like all of the other formats. If you're going to have a very different version of a very powerful card that shaped standard, uh, Thrytus is a good one to pick. Yeah, card's very strong. It's going to gonna be a huge player in standard. Can storm the festivals into it, which uh card we keep talking about. I think it's going to be pretty good across rotation. I'm just kind of racking my brain about what the good four drop creature and that Vivian... The monogreen, you're trying to figure out what the four drop would be. You have Stomper, obviously, as a, as a great three to get if you're playing Innkeeper and, and kind of accelerating. I, I mean... But but bridging the four, I just only... The only creature I can ever think of is Eskis Chariot. You can pot a Chariot into a five if you would want to. Like, that is possible by crewing it. I don't know that that is the best use of your Chariot. Yeah, no, I'm just, I'm just thinking, like, if I have a Stomper or, you know, some other three, if I'm trying to go up the chain to get to this, yeah. like, what's the chain look like? I think that'll be really interesting to figure out. I think this card is just, you know, obviously the kind of rate monster that has tons of homes, possibly even in Pioneer decks, like Mono Green, they're playing from Storm the Festival to handle the aggressive matchups. Just gaining three and being really sticky against, like, red, probably good enough to, to make waves. My last card is Rafine Scheming Seer. It is cost Esper, so that's a blue, a white, and a black. It's a 1-4 legendary creature Sting's Demon. It is flying and ward 1. Whenever you attack, target attacking creature connives X, where X is the number of attacking creatures. And because we haven't read it yet, connive is draw X cards, then discard X cards, and put a 1-1 one, one counter on that creature for each non-land card discarded that way. This is weirdly, in my opinion, another rate creature. So it's, the reason that I say it's weird is because it's an Esper rate creature. And usually that would probably not matter, except that our best Esper deck in standard is a mid-range deck that puts a lot of different threats into play and so taxes your opponent in different ways and because of that this also has a tax on it with ward you will be attacking with things there's already synergies with that card and the planeswalkers in that deck i think that this is a great great get for that deck and really pushes it yeah i, th I think this card is very, very strong cannabis i think pretty good and having multiple on that, I think, is nice. And this card will be a pretty big player. It's really hard to kill. And it also says the magic words whenever you attack. And whenever an Esper card that says that is probably something that I didn't have my bets on coming into New Capenna based on what I think of when I think of the Esper colors. But this plus Kaido, you have like unblockable tokens lying around that you can get a lot more value out of when this naturally grows it while also giving you that filtration, that card advantage and selection that you're looking for. This card is, is definitely the real deal. I'm excited to play with all of these cards very, very soon. We're just one week away since they're now doing the online release after the paper one. This set is awesome. It was really fun to get to talk about all of these cards. We hope y'all enjoyed it too. Let us know in the comments what your favorite card, what your hit, what your hopeful, what your sleeper would be. Uh, you can support us at patreon.com slash ccmtg if you love the show. It's a great way to do it. There are a lot of benefits of that, and, you know, we talked about one of them. You're going to hear the episodes a little early, which is exciting. Make sure to check out the rest of the network, though. We have Drafting Archetypes, which is Sam Black's drafting podcast. Basically, Sam Black goes over all the different archetypes in Limited, talks about them. And one of the coolest things Sam does is Sam looks at a set before it drops and talks how, theoretically how like a drafting archetype is going to play out before it happens, which is so cool for a couple of reasons. One, it gets you an interesting headspace thing about what matters in the set. And two, it becomes a great listen halfway and at the end of the format to see how things are playing out, how they're developing. Is this something you could learn from and do? And if you're a really big limited head and want to improve, it's a great way to test your thought process. Did you agree with Sam? Did you disagree? Did you agree or disagree for the right reasons, which is the most important thing? And it's so cool to get such a great player and get to hear them talk about limited, the format they love in such a deep way every single week. So make sure to check that out. We also have Common Knowledge. It's a popper podcast. It is all popper all the time, baby. We just had Adam uh, join the show as a new co-host, who from, formerly from Homeward Path. So if you like that show, Miss Adam, he is back now. They're all popper. The format's in a really great spot. There are a lot of really strong comments in this set. We didn't mention it, but I think like 
a third of our cards were commons. So that's going to be kind of a huge, interesting way of how that works into the format. And finally, if you want to support the show in a non-Patreon way, make sure to you know like, share with your friends, review, leave comments on YouTube. That sort of stuff really does help the show and is a great free way for you to support the show if you want to and just can't give money. Show always you free, but the support is appreciated. Abe, if someone wants to find you, where can they go? Uh, they can find me over at twitter.com slash more nothings. I'm still doing hammer time coaching. That deck still owns and is still really hard to play. So if you want to be someone who picks it up and uh, figures out what's going on with it, let me know and I can help. You can find me over at Spencer13H on Twitter. You can also find me uh, making the YouTube videos here on the YouTube channel for Constructive Criticism, as well as uh, occasionally over on the Heezy Game Media YouTube channel. I did put my other shows on hiatus. So if you're looking for those and you don't have Twitter, that is why. I also am doing occasional streaming over at twitch.tv slash Heezy Media. You can check me out there. You can find me here each and every week on CCMTG. You can also find me over at twitter.com at Mason E. Clark. From there, you'll find stuff like my articles every single week on Card Kingdom. Every Thursday, you can expect them. We have a lot of standard stuff coming up in the next coming weeks. So the time you're hearing this, the next one's going to be standard deck list. So if you're getting excited for Arena, for your local stuff, PTQ is coming back. Make sure to check that out. You can find me occasionally more so in sets first drop at twitch.tv slash the Mason Clark. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Constructed Criticism, and we'll see you on the streets of New Capenna next week for another episode of CCMTG.